Warning, the Federal Communications Commission requires that we inform you that this episode of the Derek Duvall Show may contain content inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. The FCC also requires us to inform you that this episode may contain the words f***, s***, asshole, mother boy, dumpster, galloping quit, but in like a British way, and also, strangely, cul-de-sac. Once again, this show may contain content not suitable for anyone but the coolest children. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hi. Thank you so much. Wow. Please sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. Yes, we are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. Before I want to jump into this episode, though, I do want to say a huge thank you to my last guest, Dr. Helen Caldicott. I knew when the episode dropped it was going to be a hit, but the immense response was incredible. And it was one of the highest downloaded episodes so far in 2023. If you haven't listened to her extraordinary interview, I strongly encourage you to listen after the conclusion of this episode. All right, so welcome to episode 133. Now, we have a very good episode lineup for you today. As most of you who have been following me since episode one know, I am a veteran of the Afghanistan war. My younger brother is a veteran of the Afghanistan war. He was in the Army. I was in the Navy. The things he saw in Korangal Valley changed him irreparably forever. So when my guest today reached out to me about coming on the show, I jumped at the chance. On the show today, we have Scott Deluzio, a former Army National Guardsman who, along with his brother, served in the Afghanistan War as well. Scott's brother was sadly killed in action, and Scott grappled with survivor guilt, alcoholism, and PTSD. He funneled that pain into an incredible memoir, Surviving Son, an Afghanistan War veteran reveals his nightmare of becoming a gold star brother. Also, Scott is a successful podcaster with his show, The Drive On Podcast. This is a very, very powerful interview, and if you can hear my voice, it moved me immensely. Let's get Scott out here. Duval Nation, please join me in welcoming all the way from Phoenix, Arizona, former combat soldier turned author and podcaster, Scott Deluzio. Hello, welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. How has the weather been out by you today? Oh, it's been great. It's been actually unseasonably cool. So uh, we we've been we've been doing pretty good. So I start my interviews with the same question: How has it been for you to navigate the COVID nineteen pandemic so far? You know, for me, not a whole lot has changed in in my life from the start of the the COVID uh, pandemic through through now. I, I usually I work from home. 
I've been doing that since before COVID started, you know, everyone started doing the work from home thing. And so as far as my day-to-day work life, that hasn't really changed. My kids, we homeschool our kids, so that really hasn't changed anything for us. We didn't get caught up in the whole, you know, schools being shut down or any of that kind of stuff. So really none of that has changed. The the biggest thing for me is just really then whenever I would travel, you know, it would just be the the masking on the planes and things like that, which is which is different, but it really isn't I mean, it's not that different from normal travel. So I mean, honestly, it hasn't really affected me too many uh ways you know it, it it seems to me like other people definitely it affected them much more but for me i i haven't really noticed much of a difference so every journey has a beginning where were you born and what was it like growing up there yeah i was born in connecticut in the early 80s and it was uh, you know I, I was in a you know middle class uh family it was you know like a lot of people we Played outside a lot, you know, until the the street lights came on and we came home and you know had dinner and all that kind of stuff. It was just you know the you know the typical uh, you know kind of suburban childhood, or I guess if you want to call it that. My younger brother and I, we we grew up in a very patriotic family. We we were brought up to respect the the military and the the first responders and people like that. Basically, you know, the people who put the uniform on day after day to uh, go out and serve people outside of themselves. They're, they're, they're there to help other people when they are in need and, and that type of thing. And so we, that really resonated with us. And, and that's, um, you know, kind of how uh, my brother and I ended up uh, joining the military. It was really just looking up to those people growing up and, um, you know, and then finding ourselves in a position, you know, post 9-11, where the country was looking for soldiers. And so that's, that's kind of how we wound up in the military. Did you take the college route first and then join, or did you just go straight out of high school? I did. Yeah. So I was in college actually when 9-11 happened. And so, um, you know, I had toyed around with the idea of joining the military, but, you know, at, when I was in high school, it wasn't really that big of a thing uh, that that I thought would would fit in my life. But then actually the either the day of or the day after 9-11, I, I considered just dropping out of college and joining the military right then and there. Um, but I knew myself and I knew that if I did that, I would never go back and finish college. And I, I felt like I was, I was already, you know, a couple of years in and I, I figured I, I might as well just finish off what I started. Um, and then I can, I can always revisit the military decision after that. So, um, I, I did that. Um, my brother, uh, he was in high school during nine 11. Uh, he ended up going to college and joining the national guard while he was in college. He joined because he met a guy who he went to school with. He was talking about the guard the guy who served in the guard, and uh, he started talking about it. And my brother was like, "You know, that sounds like something I, I'd like to do." And uh, so, basically, overnight, my younger brother went from being, you know, the, the kid that used to, you know, beat up in the backyard and we used to horse around and get in trouble and all that kind of stuff, uh, to being one of these guys that I grew up looking up to and respecting. And, you know, I was damn proud of him for, uh, for making that, that kind of decision, especially during a time of war, you know, that's, that's not an easy decision to make. And, you know, here he was manning up and doing it. So, um, you know, I was super proud of him for that. And about a year after he joined, I heard a report in the news that just really pissed me off. Uh, it said that the military was struggling to meet their recruiting numbers for the year. And, I was like, where the hell are all these people from, you know, 9-11 time period where they were ready to move mountains to go kick some ass and take some names and all that, that kind of stuff. 
where are all these people? And then I, I had a good long, uh, you know, look inside of myself and I was like, well, shit, I was one of those people and I still haven't done anything about it. Um, you know, I haven't served, I haven't done anything other than, you know, finishing college or, or whatever. And, and so I was like, well, I'm young enough. I'm fit enough. I'm perfectly capable to, so why not me? And so that's, that's what kind of pushed me to joining the military too, uh, was, was that report. So, um, in addition to, you know, seeing my, my younger brother doing it, if he could do it, I wasn't going to let him, uh, you know, have all the fun. <laughs> so why the army over the other branches? You know, honestly, my brother, he, he joined the army national guard and he was able to tell me a, a little bit about what I could expect as far as, you know, the, the training and, you know, things like that. And I felt like I just kind of wanted to follow in his footsteps and, and kind of follow after his lead. My grandfather had been in the Navy. You know, I certainly could have done that. You know, he served in World War II. So that was a, you know, certainly in, in our family history. But, uh, you know, my my brother kind of had a little more immediate uh, experience with the military. And so I, I decided to, to follow, uh, follow after him. And so we both, we both enlisted in the uh, National Guard, uh, both as infantrymen. And so, uh, you know, we, I wasn't going to let him go and have all the fun with all the all the guns and all the, all the stuff that, that you get to do in the infantry and, and go do something, uh, you know, quote unquote easier, uh, by, by joining something else. So I, I decided to go infantry too. How many deployments you do? I did just the one deployment. My younger brother did two deployments. He went to Iraq while I was in basic training. And then, uh, we both were deployed to Afghanistan in 2010. So this is going to be a sensitive question. Uh, you lost your brother in Afghanistan. Yep. Uh, did that event change your opinion of the war? You know, yes and no. At the time when we were deployed over there, you know, I felt like, you know, we were doing something good to help the people of Afghanistan to help make the our country safer uh, by essentially taking the fight to the enemy uh, who was over there. That's where they were kind of holed up. And you know, as long as they're busy over there, they're not going to be flying planes into our buildings. And so I, I looked at it like, you know, that that's a, a good thing. And so the day that my brother was killed, I had this anger that came over me, this complete, absolute rage that came over me. Uh, and I was just angry at all of the people of Afghanistan, whether I knew them or not, whether they were involved in killing my brother or not, or, or whatever, I was just so mad that they couldn't take care of their own country. And it required people like my brother to come there and get killed. And I was like, just beyond angry. Like, I, I don't think I've ever had an anger uh, to this level uh, before in my life. And uh, so at that point, I kind of was like, you know, screw these people. I, I don't, I don't care what happens to their country. But then in the, the years afterwards, as I thought more about all of that, I still, I look back and I still think that what we did over there, um, even though, you know, you can argue was this war drawn on too long or, you know, either way, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter. The way I see it is that um, we still prevented planes from being flown into our buildings for those 20 years. We still kept Americans safe at home to the extent that we could. We, we kept the fight over there, you know, and so I look at that as a win. Yeah, it did cost lives, cost my brother's life and, and thousands of others. Uh, but 
it saved countless American lives. And so when I look back on it now, uh, I look at it as something that we we can be proud of, um, especially for you know maybe some of the veterans who served over there, you know, right around this time of year. Um, uh, last year was when the the withdrawal from Afghanistan took place. That's what I was going to say is because every veteran I've had on the show so yeah. far who was served in Afghanistan, I've saved this last question for the end. But since we're talking about it, I'll just bring it up to now. Sure. And that is basically from one Afghanistan veteran to another. What were your thoughts on the end of the war? Yeah, I, at first I, w- I was just disgusted at, at how terribly it went wrong. I mean, I, I think you could, probably could have handed the plans to like a, an E4 a corporal or, or something like that and said, here, figure out how we're going to get out of Afghanistan. And they probably could have done a better job figuring out all the logistics and, and everything. You know, I'm not even talking about getting the equipment that we left behind, all, all the the military equipment that was left behind. I'm just talking about you know, how quickly the country fell back to the Taliban. And that to me was just like, how the hell could that happen? You know, but a lot of time, times I, I've talked to other veterans too, and they, they tell me like, you know, it seems like it was just a waste, wasted effort to go over there, spend 20 years over there. And I make this analogy in my book about the withdrawal from Afghanistan. My grandmother in the 60s, uh, she was diagnosed with cancer and the doctors did what they could. They they gave her you know the chemo and all this other treatment, uh, whatever they they had back then. I, I don't know the specifics of of what they had available back then, but she went into remission and she beat it at, at that point, and she went on to live for a little over twenty years. And in that time, uh, almost all of her grandchildren were born, so she got to meet all of her pretty much all of her grandchildren, I think, except for one. Um, she had 20 more years with her kids, with her husband, with, with her family and, and got to experience 20 more years of life. And yeah, ultimately the cancer did take her from us. But if you were to go back and say, Oh, well, the efforts of those doctors 20 years ago were just a wasted effort. I'd be like, well, no, that's crazy. Like she got 20 more years of life. And I feel like we gave the Afghan people 20 years of hope of you know potential uh, for having a, a better life and my hope is that some of those people have seen how things could be without the Taliban and and my hope is that they will at some point you know fight back against the Taliban and, and push back and, and take their country back um, whether that happens or not I don't know but but at least we've given them a glimmer of hope at some point. And so, you know, maybe, maybe, yeah, 20 years later, they've, they've lost it, but, but it's better than not having it at all. So what was your decision to leave the army? Uh, So, yeah, after my brother was killed, I, I found myself just not really caring about my work in the the military anymore. I wasn't the best leader that I could be. I, I went into a pretty dark place. I was, you know, suffering from depression and, um, survivor's guilt and a lot of things like that. And I, I just found myself just not caring anymore. And I realized I wasn't the type of, of leader that my soldiers needed. And um, I was getting very close to the end of my enlistment anyways. And I, I had actually had a surgery on my knee from an injury that I sustained while in Afghanistan. And the recovery period from that, I wasn't able to do any sort of training or anything like that. Basically from 
the time of the surgery through the end of my enlistment. It would have been like right around that same time period. And so I, I just felt completely worthless going into to training while everyone else is off training. I'm sitting there with a bum knee, uh, can't do anything. And so I looked into, you know, ways of potentially getting discharged uh, early. And there's a army regulation called Surviving Sons and Daughters, uh, which is where the title of my book came from. And that essentially allows for people who, like me, lost a, a family member in, in military service uh, and allows us to be discharged uh, before our, our enlistment's up. So, um, you know, in that, that case, I, I said, you know, this is me. Um, I'm not doing any anyone any good here while I'm still serving, basically just taking up space, collecting a paycheck, which I'm literally doing nothing for other than showing up. And as I was like, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I might as well, um, you know, just walk away at this point. And so, so that's what I did. Uh, took a, about a month or two for the paperwork to process and everything. But, uh, once when it did, I was, I was done, I was out. And, and that's essentially how I, I left the military. What was your transition to civilian life like? Yeah, it was, it was a little different than maybe your, your typical active duty transition because, uh, you know, the active duty soldiers, they, all they know is the military, but you know, I had a civilian job on the outside of the, the national guard, uh, training. So the one week in a month, two weeks a year. So it was, I think in a way, a little bit easier because I did have that in place already. And so it wasn't like I had to go and now figure out how do I apply for a job? How do I uh, do an interview? How do I write a resume? All that kind of stuff. I, I kind of already had some of that in place, so I didn't have to worry about that. However, when I got back from Afghanistan, I had a job that I was working before leaving uh, for Afghanistan. And when I came back, I think I only lasted about a month there. Um, I just, I felt like when I was going back into work, it was like, I just couldn't relate to the people that I worked with anymore. I felt like it was just a struggle to get out of bed in the morning to go to this job. Um, it was just, for me, it was really hard to get back into the swing of things uh, with that job. So after about the first month that I was there, I I decided to give my two week notice and and I ended up quitting that job. I found another job, which I thought was going to be better for me. Turns out that wasn't all that great for me either. And what I ended up doing is starting a business. Um, and because I, I felt like what I needed was not the, the stress of working with other people. And so if I'm my own boss, I can set my own hours. I can set my own time period that, that I, I go into work that, you know, if I want to take a day off because I'm, I'm just overwhelmed and I'm stressed, I can take a day off. I can, I can do things as I sort of see fit. I don't really have to answer to anybody. Um, and that helped, uh, in a way, because I was able to, I was able to work without the stress of, you know, dealing with these people that I felt like I really had no connection to anymore. It took me a while to figure out how to how to make sense of, of what I was going through, the the depression, the survivor guilt, the PTSD, and, and all those things that I was dealing with. Uh, it took me a while to, to make sense of all that. And I, I think by allowing myself to take time off when I needed it, not having to answer to anyone, it sort of made that transition a little bit easier for me. Maybe I, I could have made more money doing something else. But at, at the time, I think my sanity, my peace of mind was a little bit more valuable than a paycheck, you know, that makes, makes sense. Yeah. So that being said, what inspired you to write the book surviving son? 
Yeah. So after getting home from Afghanistan, I started just writing down notes of like kind of journaling of things that happened, places I, I was at, thoughts I had, experiences, all that kind of stuff. And it just really was just a note format. It was really in no particular format. I wasn't planning on making it a book. Uh, it was really just for, you know, when my kids got older, uh, I figured they'd probably have questions about what I did in the war. And I didn't want to forget things. I knew our memories kind of play tricks on us over time. And we remember things differently than they actually happen. And so I, I, I actually wanted to tell them what really happened uh, when they got older. A couple, few years ago, maybe three years ago, a little more than that, maybe, I brought up these notes. I started looking at them and I, I was like, you know, what? Th these notes really deserve to be more than just notes, right? They, they deserve to be uh, a story, something that's told to not only share my side of the story, but I also shared my brother's side of, of the story. You know, obviously he's not here to share his story anymore. And so I wanted to give him a voice and in myself as well, uh, in a way that will outlive both of us and allow people uh, years down the road to be able to see how the war affected one family and hopefully learn something from that. Um, not, not to say that I'm anti-war or anything like that, but I, I really hope that people will kind of think twice before sending our troops overseas to, to serve in combat. Um, because if it's really not worth it, if, if it's the, the end goal is not uh, really a strong uh, goal that we have here, then I, I really want people to think about that and, and really decide, is this worth what our family went through? And, and our family story isn't unique. You know, so many other families have, have gone through this, thousands of others just in the Iraq and Afghan wars alone, uh, never mind all the other wars that our country has been through. Um, our stories aren't unique, and but they are in, at the same time, you know, the way it affected us specifically. But, but every family has been affected who's lost a loved one over there. And so we, we really should pay attention to that um, when we're making these decisions. I 100% agree. Okay, Duval Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we'll be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Scott Deluzio. May I suggest you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long, deep breaths. You know, <laughs> yes, Cluzo style. Please give your attention to a few friends of the show, and we will be right back. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing podcasting made easy from Podtastic Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is podcasting made easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podcasticaudio.com slash easy. Duval Nation, Derek and Mindy Duval here to talk about Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. The Derek Duvall Show and Derek and Mindy's Fun With Movies is proud to be sponsored by the team at Jerky Pro. As a veteran, I am always the first to support veteran-owned businesses. Setting up shop in 1987 and founded by military and paramilitary veterans, 
They have set the bar for how beef jerky is processed, flavored, packaged, and sold. With strict quality control standards, Jerky Pro offers many flavors that are sure to please any beef jerky connoisseur. From the standard original flavor to honey glazed, peppered, teriyaki, sweet barbecue, or if you're brave enough, the fierce red hot, there are many flavors guaranteed to entice your palate. Offered in various sized packaging, use promo code DUBALL37, all in capital letters, at checkout to receive a 5% discount. Remember folks, if your beef jerky is not making your mouth water, then it's not Jerky Pro Beef Jerky. Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. Hey, this is Patrick Baker, and you are listening to The Derek Duvall Show. Check out my new single, Sorrow, available on all major streaming platforms. And you can check my site out at patrickbakermusic.com. Don't leave my upper Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts! Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy, it is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. Hi, I'm Kay. And I'm Jay. We all know that a lot of us spend most of our waking hours at work. So naturally, the majority of our stories come from the many different characters and situations we run into at the workplace. Because of this, we bring you the Fuck My Work Life podcast. On this podcast, we will be sharing your stories from the workplace, no matter what they may be, so we can all laugh and commiserate together. Does someone at work have horrible habits? Crazy bosses that have no idea what they're doing? Hilarious blow-ups from coworkers? Even if you just need to rant, we want to hear it. Everything will be completely anonymous, so don't be afraid to spill your guts. That's right. All names of people and companies will not be disclosed, so send us your best. No story is too small. Email your stories to fmwlpod at gmail.com. That's fmwlpod at gmail.com. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your pods. For more fun content, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at FMWLPod. We can't wait to hear from you. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Presley Tennant, and you're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. You can find my brand new EP, 600 Miles, on all streaming platforms right now. Do you want to take that three-mile drive straight to my house in-
guess it's hard to hear a heartbreak 600 miles away. everyone. This is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, a veteran's journey from homeless to hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 133 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with combat soldier turned author and podcaster, Scott Deluzio. Uh, what has the reception of the book been like? So far, it's been great. Everyone has given me some positive feedback. Sometimes people will read it and they, they say, wow, I, I didn't, I didn't expect it to go as deep as it did in terms of, you know, how personal it got and how, uh, you know, I, I, I talk about my personal struggles after getting home, how I uh, struggled with uh, drinking too much and, uh, you know, just trying to numb the pain of, of everything that, that had taken place. You know, in the book, I, I describe uh, through, these uh, sworn statements that we received from the people who served with my brother, um, I described exactly what happened to my brother the day he was killed. And, you know, some people weren't re ready for that uh, necessarily. They, they got to that point and they, they were like, you know, that's, it's a little too much, but, but overall the reception has been very good. They really appreciate the, the openness and the, the honesty and how raw the, the book was as far as how I, I wrote it, um, because it it really did shed a light on on things that some people, even family members, didn't really un understand or, or know about. So then, what led you to create the Drive On podcast? Yeah, I I started that around the same time that I decided to write the book, and the podcast really came from uh, the fact that when we served overseas, the company that I was serving with. Uh, we didn't lose any soldiers uh, when, while we were over in Afghanistan. And, you know, thank God for that, right? But when we came home, we started losing them to suicide. Um, and one, one is obviously too many, but when more and more of the people that I served with and that I knew and that I, you know, cared about, when more and more of them started taking their lives, I was like, man, I cannot just sit around doing nothing while these people are taking their lives. And, it wasn't just the people that I served with. It, it was widespread, still is widespread amongst the entire military and the veteran community. And I was like, this just isn't okay with me. I, I'm not going to be the type of person who just sits there and complains or about the 22 a day or, or whatever, does 22 push-ups to raise awareness and you know does nothing else. And so I decided to start the podcast to talk to other veterans about the issues that they've gone through and the uh, their time in the service, what they've gone through, how they've overcome some of the struggles that they've had to kind of give hope to the other veterans who might be listening to say who might be thinking to themselves that they're all alone in whatever it is that they're going through. But if they start hearing somebody else saying they've gone through something very similar and oh, yeah, by the way, here's how we've overcome this, they might start saying, well, OK, well, I I didn't try that. I didn't even think about that 
solution to this problem. Uh, you know, let me give it a try. Now there's some hope, right? And and they, that gives them uh, a purpose to keep driving forward and and pushing towards a, a better life. We also talk about different coping mechanisms that people might have. We we talk to providers of, of services, whether it's mental health services or uh, you know things like art therapy or uh, you know different things like that. Uh, things that are maybe outside the box that that people don't always necessarily think about. Um, and we've talked to people who um, they they have workshops set up to teach veterans how to uh, learn how to become mechanics, work with cars and, and things like that, job training, other things like that, just so that the the veterans who are struggling with figuring out what to do next with their lives or or how to overcome something, they know about all these other resources. It's not just the VA, not to knock the VA at all. Um, you know, they do do what they can with what they have. It's not perfect, but it is what it is, right? What do you think the VA could be doing better to help soldiers returning from Afghanistan after this conflict is now officially over? You know, I think the VA, uh, like I was saying, I, I don't want to knock the VA at all. They they get certain resources and they, they can only do what they can do with the resources that they have available. But um, there are many other programs that are out there uh, that are outside of the VA's expertise, uh, things like like the equestrian uh, therapy, like people working with horses, uh, they actually have a a way of figuring out how to calm themselves down in order for the horses to respond the way they they need them to respond. Mm-hmm. Uh, the VA doesn't, as far as I know, doesn't offer stuff like that, but they certainly could make those things available to the veterans who maybe have tried all the traditional forms of therapies and you know maybe these things just aren't working for the veterans make make these things available to the veterans and you know cover the cost if there's a cost you know, a lot of these places offer it for free um, it, it, you know they're nonprofits they they do their fundraising and, and everything you know maybe pay for part of it or, or whatever makes the most sense i'm not i'm not going to dive into the finances here to figure that that part out yeah. but but make these things available to the veterans so that uh, they're not sitting there thinking, okay, I've tried everything. Now all hope is lost. What's left for me? And then then they turn to self-medicating, which leads down darker paths and you know contributes to what we're seeing now with the, the veteran suicide epidemic. Oh, absolutely. The One of the biggest things I'm seeing right now, and I've had, like I said, I've had other veterans on my show who I've asked that question to as well. And if I said, it's like the VA needs to just stop throwing pills at people. Like here's some yeah. pills go off into the world. I feel that's doing more damage than addressing the root problem, the root cause of the problem. And that's the thing about Absolutely. it. I get it's a government entity. I get that. I'm not blind, but I really think either they, pri- they need to privatize it or they need to just completely revamp it and rebuild it from the startup because whatever's yeah, I- working is not working. I agree with that. I think privatizing it would would certainly help uh, it to some degree. Um, throwing pills at problems, you're right. Uh, I, I think that's not the best way to go. Um, there, not to say that medication is oh, not no, needed yeah. in some cases, right? Obviously, it, it is. Um, and even even for some people who are struggling with the therapy, you know, maybe maybe their anxiety is just getting getting so high when they're going through these therapies, reliving some of these memories, well, maybe they need some, some medication to help kind of bring that to a more manageable level while they, Mm -hmm. while they go through that. And then they can, they can 
uh, transition off of that and, and see how they do. But, um, you know, just to expect that the medication is going to solve 100% of the problems is, is kind of ridiculous. One of the things we had, I had a, I had a gentleman on two, two weeks, it doesn't matter. Anyway, I, a little bit ago, and he was telling me that his commanding officer was telling all the non-commissioned, basically just saying all the non-coms, like, do not go to the VA for mental health. Do not do this or have you, because it sends a bad precedence for the your your soldiers who are under your care and i'm like i that just blew my mind i'm like why would you do that you know it's it's awful it's it is 100 percent awful so that right there to me is just a failure in leadership whoever that person is i think they they need to uh be be kicked down a notch here because it, it think about it if you are driving your car and it starts making a clunking noise you don't know how to fix it. You're not a mechanic. You take it to the mechanic and you get a fix, right? The, no one's going to look at you differently. Like, oh my God, you're nuts. Why would you take it to a mechanic, right? That's just a normal, sane thing to do. If you're having a problem with your mental health, with with you know whatever else, even your physical health, you go to a doctor who specializes in whatever it is that you're dealing with and get the help that you need. If you don't do that, you're going to end up with a, you know, using that car analogy, you're going to end up with a car you can't drive. And if your body, your mind, whatever is not functioning at, at hundred percent, then you're not going to be the best soldier that you can be. You're not going to be the best leader. You're not going to be the best, uh, you know, squad leader. You're not going to be the best teammate or whatever you want to call it. You're just not going to be the best that you can be. So go take care of your shit, get it, get your mental health under control. If, if maybe they're saying that the, the this co- commanding officer maybe had a bad experience with the VA and is just trying to save them the the trouble, but my God, like not everyone has a bad experience there. Like you, yeah. if you show as a non commissioned officer, if you show that you're vulnerable, like like I'm willing to work on myself, it's the same way you go to the gym to work on yourself. You know, we're not all as strong as we can be if we don't go to the gym and work out, right? You go and you work on yourself because you want to get better. And if you show that it's okay to go do that, then your soldiers are going to go do that too. They're not going to think any less of you because you've gone and and made yourself better. They're going to look at you and say, well, shit, like now this guy's an even better leader than he was before. And, you know, I don't know. I, that, that kind of mindset just blows my mind. Oh, mine too. As we begin to end this interview, I always like to ask one fun question. Are there any shows or music that you're into right now? You, you know, my... My wife and I started watching the show. Um, it, it's probably been on for a few years now, but we, it was just a show we we came up on Netflix, and it's called The Hundred, and and it's a uh, it's about this uh, basically about a like a spaceship that's that uh, orbiting Earth. Earth was basically destroyed from like a nuclear apocalypse kind of thing, and the only surviving humans were up on the spaceship. And they sent 100 people down to Earth to see if it was survivable after, I don't know, 100 years or something like that. And turns out it is. And and some people actually survived the the nuclear oh, explosions and all that kind of stuff. And um, uh, so far, it's, it's it's really good. So, oh, check uh, it out. so we're, we're enjoying that. Right. So like I said, as we begin to wind this interview, what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? Yeah, so the the best thing you can do is follow the podcast, Drive On Podcast. You can go to driveonpodcast.com to find all the the episodes. You can find all the links to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or or just search in in your favorite uh, podcast uh, app for Drive On Podcast. Um, And all the social media links are 
at drive on podcast. So you can follow there and, and check it out there. Uh, as far as the book goes, you can get that on Amazon. Uh, it's again, it's surviving son and, and you can get that in any format that you want. Uh, I have it in the ebook, uh, the Kindle, uh, paperback, hardcover. And, uh, recently I, I released the audio book of it as well. So, uh, so any, any way that you want to consume a book, you, you can certainly do that. You do the narration. I did. Yeah. Nice. How long did that yeah. take? Uh, way longer than I thought it would. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as, as I start reading, you know, so when you read, just like reading to yourself, you know, if you, if you skip over a word or two here and there, that's not a big deal, but as you're reading and you're actually reading out loud, um, you know, sometimes your mind kind of like fills in a word and it, I just know I, I butchered it as I'm reading it. And I, I can't tell you how many times I have to edit it out where, where I'm like, Oh fuck, I screwed this one up. Again. <laughs> I, like I said, take politics off the table a second. I heard, uh, it took Barack Obama like almost like a, almost a month or so to record his audiobook right. for his thing. I, I I I've never recorded an audiobook, so now knowing that that might yeah. fill in a few holes. So, right, and you know what? I I don't I don't doubt that it, it would have taken him that long. And I so he probably didn't have to to worry about you know working his nine to five to to get the food on the table right. and all that kind of stuff yeah. like I had. So um, so I I definitely took some days off. Like like I, I'd record like one day I'd, I'd just go hard like for a few hours and then I you know go ba- go back to it a, a couple weeks later and, and everything. But you know, whenever I had some free time, but but yeah, it, it took me way longer than than I thought, and I, I don't doubt that it took him that long either. Um, <laughs> it, it just it's a long process, right? So I end my interviews. With my favorite question and the question is this if the entire planet was listening to this broadcast what would be the one thing you would want to say to the people of earth i would want everyone to know that no matter what you've been through um, you have already survived 100 percent of your worst days in your life right and when you think about it that way like today Unless today happens to be that worst day of your life, today isn't all that bad in comparison. Like if you could survive that, you can survive today, which means that you can survive tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. Keep trying, you know, keep take things one day at a time. You don't have to break off big chunks of your life and tackle the next five years all at once. Tackle today. Worry about right now, right here. That's all you got to really worry about is right now. If you can get through this, um, you know, break the day up into small chunks. I, I did this when I was in basic training. Uh, I, I would break the day up into uh, meal times. Like I'd, we'd wake up and I'd be like, okay, how, how long until breakfast? Okay, we'd eat breakfast. Okay, how long until lunch? And then then how long until dinner after that? And then how long until lights out? You know, and I, I'd break the day into small chunks, manageable bite-sized pieces, just a few hours at a time. And it made the, the days go by so much easier because all I was doing was just focusing on that small bit of time. Uh, and if you can do that, uh, You've already survived those tremendously terrible days that you might have gone through. You can survive the next four or five hours until the next meal or the next whatever your goal is. You know, for me, it was food. For you, it might be something else. Uh, you know, if you can do that, you can you can do just about anything. And, uh, you know, don't give up hope. There there are resources out there for you. You, you can certainly uh, help get things better if, if that's what you want. Nice. Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. This has been an absolute treat. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really grateful for this opportunity to come on your show and to chat with you and, and your audience. I, I really do appreciate this opportunity. Welcome. 
And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 133. I want to thank Scott for taking the time to come on the show. Even when we were finishing production on this episode, this interview hit me just as hard as the first time I heard it. I hope it moved you as much as it moved me. You can find Surviving Son, an Afghanistan war veteran, reveals his nightmare of becoming a gold star brother on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. You can also find the Drive-On Podcast wherever you get your podcasts online. Scott, your brother will be very proud of you and for what you're doing for the veteran community. I mean that. Okay, tune in again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a really good one coming up in a few days, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episode to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you are feeling generous, you know what? Please drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. Of course, I prefer the good ones, but I'll listen to what you have to say as well if it's a bad one. We are still enjoying our partnership with the Amazing Tea Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there with everything with our logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves. There are some truly fun ones on there, so please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go to the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that, and you'll be taken to our store on Tea Public. And once again, I want to thank Tea Public for being such great partners with the Derek Duvall Show. Speaking of the Derek Duvall Show, on behalf of myself and the entire team here, I want to say to my loyal listeners, please reach out to your veterans in your life, be them family members, friends, or hell, even pop down to a VFW or such. Ask them how they're doing. You'll be amazed how much a simple gesture like that can be go to helping them make sense of the madness we have been through the last two decades. No star, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.